just got back from Arkansas. Seems like I was gone a long time. I actually left last Saturday morning and uh, got back yesterday morning. So it was less than, tw- than, than a week, but it was over 2,000 miles, 96 gallons. So you could figure that out. I, I got 23 miles a gallon, but it was a long way. But it was a good trip. Good to see Ronnie on the way out. Good to spend time with Chris and Rachel and the four kids. Catherine Ann was born on March 3rd, nine pounds, two ounces. And I got to hold her a little bit, but not very much. Darlene did most of the holding of her and, and Rachel. It was a good trip, though. We enjoyed it very much. I walked into a Sunday school classroom this morning, back of the room. And as I was walking in, Rebecca said, you should tell dad that. And I was wondering what in the world she was talking about. I said, what? Tell me what? And one of the ladies in the classroom said she did not like the answers at the bottom of the sermon notes because she didn't have to concentrate because she knew she had the answers anyway. So we're going to take a vote. How many of you like the answers at the bottom? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you would prefer not to have the answers at the bottom? Raise your hand. And like I've said before, how many of you don't care? <laughs> okay. We might try something a little different. We might put them on the website or something. So if you miss something, uh, you can go back and check it out. I know that out there, there are some of you that are OCD. In other words, you like to make sure you get all the, the, the um, different um, lines filled in exactly right. How many of you would prefer to do that? How many of you don't care? Don't answer that question. <laughs> We've been talking about the behavior of a disciple. Uh, in John, it talks about a disciple. We started off in Matthew. A disciple follows Jesus, Matthew 4.19. Let's say that verse together. Jesus said to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, when we think about following Jesus, what, what is that? Starts with an R. Relationship. Who said that? I like that. Was that Gray? Thank you very much, Gray. I appreciate it. Uh, the next one, I will make you. What is that? Starts with a T. Transformation. Fishers of men. Starts with an I. It's an impact. In fact, that's the greatest impact you can make on a life, is it not? sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody so they pray to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and spend eternity in heaven. That is a tremendous impact. So a a true disciple is going to follow Jesus Christ and he's going to engage in relationship transformation and impact. A true disciple is also going to believe. That just makes sense. That's common sense. In, In John chapter 1 and verse number 12, uh, John, John said, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to those who do what? Believe on his name. We need to receive Jesus Christ to believe in him. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a genuine disciple. That makes sense. So a disciple follows Jesus, believes in Jesus. Uh, A disciple also abides in his word. I enjoyed watching Gray online. I wish I could have seen him in person, especially as he talked about the Chuck anniversary. I've never 
I've thought about putting it like that. Probably never will in the future either. But I appreciate the, the job he did talking about shallow Christians who, who might claim to believe they go to church and so on, but don't really continue in God's word. It's exactly what we need to do. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, that portion of Scripture says that when we abide in his word, we are his disciples indeed. We'll know the truth. The truth will set us free. James 1.25 is a good commentary on that. James 1.25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. How many of you want to be blessed in what you do? If you really want to be blessed and you think God knows what he's talking about, I'm convinced he does, then you need to continue in the word. Don't be a forgetful hearer. Don't just read a quick devotion and forget about it. Instead, memorize, meditate, study, read God's word, spend time in God's word so that you can continue in it, do what it says, and be blessed. When, when talking about discipleship, uh, right before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said this, that we need to make disciples by going, by baptizing, and then what was the last thing? Teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. We need to continue in the word, to spend time in the word, and then to do what it says. Gray, again, thank you very much for speaking last week. Well, tonight, today we're going to be talking about the fact that a genuine disciple loves. And we're looking at John chapter 13. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to that portion of Scripture, John chapter 13. And I'm going to go ahead and read verses 31 through 35. John 13, 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at these verses and some others, we pray that you will speak to our hearts and help us not just to be hearers, but doers of the word. We thank you for the opportunity to love one another. I pray that you'll teach us and help us to grow in our love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in verses 31 to 33, we see the context of his statement. In verse number 31 and 32, it's sort of hard to understand what it's talking about there. But in other portions of Scripture, we see that when it talks about Jesus being glorified, that it's when he's lifted up on the cross. It's when he gives himself voluntarily to die on the cross. And as a result, God, he, he glorifies him and he exalts him. I believe that, that when we, we think about uh, the, the gospel, we need to recognize it's a twofold thing. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is that Jesus died and was buried, and then that he rose again and appeared to various people. If you want to make it as concise as possible, basically the gospel is that Jesus died 
and he rose again. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose again so that we could reign with him forevermore. Uh, when we see the context here, that's what the context is. And it reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 11. The earlier portion of Scripture, in fact, we'll read it just a little bit later, talks about Jesus being willing to leave heaven, come down to earth, to become like a servant, to die a horrible death on the cross. It talks about his willingness to sacrifice and suffer. And then it goes on to say this in verses 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So when we, when we look at the context of John chapter 13, we, we see that Jesus is about to die on the cross. He's about to be raised from the dead three days later. And just like with the, the great commission right before he ascended to heaven, so we have the great commandment right before he died on the cross and rose again. The, the context is, number one, the gospel, Jesus died and rose again. But the context also is the ascension of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 33. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Well, there was a little bit of confusion. The disciples obviously did not want to let Jesus go, so to speak. They weren't sure where he was going. Uh, they did not know what was going on. But as we, as we look at this portion of Scripture in the next couple of chapters, it makes clear what was going on. Look at chap John chapter 13, verse number 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. So where Jesus was going, the disciples weren't going to be able to go right away, but later on, they were going to go. John chapter 16 and verse number 16 says this, Jesus was speaking a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. You know, the greatest context is found right after John chapter 13. Right after it talks about the fact that the new commandment is that we love one another. In John 14, 1 through 6, a very familiar portion of Scripture because we use it at funerals. But basically, the context is that Jesus is going somewhere. Well, where is he going? He's going to heaven. He's going to the Father to prepare a place for us. Verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know in the way you know. And Thomas, he, he sometimes uh, he's, is known as Doubting Thomas. He, he sometimes didn't know what in the world was going on. He said, we don't know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So doesn't that clarify 
when it talks in verse number 33 about Jesus going away, he was going to the Father. He was going to heaven to prepare a place for the disciples. They could not come right then, but they would be coming in just a little while. You know, a lot of times when we are saying our goodbyes before someone goes somewhere uh, for a long time, we, we say what is most important, what is in, on our heart. And we say things like, I love you, don't forget to brush your teeth, and other things of that nature. Well, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he basically repeated the great commandment he'd given that before, that we need to love God, love our neighbor as ourselves, and he gave us the great commission as well. That's what the context is of this commandment in verses 34 and 35. Well, look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As we look at this portion of Scripture, it says, a new commandment I give to you, but the reality is uh, that this commandment was given back in Exodus, excuse me, in Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So how is this a, a new commandment? Warren Wiersbe, which was quoted last, who was quoted last week by Gray, uh, he, he was a great commentator, a great preacher, was at Moody Church for many, many years. He said that it's not new in time, but new in experience. It's a new freshness. And in reality, there's a newness of power as well. Uh, love, love has been around for a long time. The Old Testament talked about love. In fact, if you think about the Ten Commandments, the first four or five talk about loving God. The second five or six talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, do not steal. Do not kill. I mean, if you love somebody, are you going to kill them? Are you going to steal from them? And so on. It's, th this concept of love has been around. But the reality is that there is a a newness in power that Jesus is articulating. And really what it has to do with is the fact that this kind of love is supernatural. We already looked at John 16, 16. Look at John 16, 7. John 16, 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. In other words, because Jesus was going away, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was going to supernaturally enable them to love one another. You're familiar with Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what's number one? Love, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on. It's when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit that God supernaturally enables us to grow in love. He supernaturally enables us to love one another. So that's tied to the ascension. It's tied to Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And they have the power to witness, but they also have the power to love as long as they were allowing the Holy Spirit to control them. This love is a supernatural love. 
But not only is it a supernatural love, it's also a sacrificial love. Now, I know that there are some mothers out there that took care of kids, and as I was watching Rachel take care of Catherine and the other three kids that are, that are seven, and I think they're four and two running around, uh, Rachel really did work hard. Darlene did as well. Uh, me, I, I, I had to take some breaks on occasion. I would say I needed to go and make some telephone calls to some people back at the church, and I'd get out of there and, and spend some time studying or, or, or calling or whatever, and then I'd go back in and let them jump all over me and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, but a mother's love is sacrificial. Wouldn't you agree with that? God's love for us was sacrificial when Jesus died on the cross. There's several verses that go along with this, and, and, and sacrifice has to do with service. Most of the time when we're sacrificing, it's because we're seeking to meet the needs of someone else. Galatians 5.13, Paul exhorted the Galatians to, through love, serve one another. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Jesus set the example earlier in John chapter 13. You remember they came to, to an upper room, and they were going to have the Last Supper, but nobody washed the feet of the disciples. So what Jesus did, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is he went ahead and he washed their feet. Some of them did not want him to do so, but he, he said, I really do need to do this. At the end, he basically said, you've seen what I've done. I'm your master and your Lord, and I've washed your feet. You need to do the same thing. Blessed, happy, fortunate are you if you do this. In other words, just like Jesus, we need to be seeking to serve one another, to through love serve one another. As I look around, I see a lot of people in this church that serve. Quite often, it's in the background. Uh, there, there's nobody that really knows what's going on or very few people. But isn't that the way it's supposed to be? We're not loving and serving in order to get recognition. We're loving and serving because we care about people just like Jesus cared for us. I mentioned Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, where it talks about the fact that Jesus was exalted. But before he was exalted, he humbled himself. Notice again in Philippians chapter 2 that it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to have the same attitude that Jesus had, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's a great example that Jesus set. He basically humbled himself and he served in the ultimate way by giving his life in order for us to have everlasting life. And he tells us in verses 3 and 4 to let each esteem others better than himself, not to look out for our own interest, but for the interest of others. Instead of being selfish, Jesus was selfless and he humbly served other people. We need to do the same thing. In fact, 1 John 3.16, I think it's interesting. John 3.16, we know. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Isn't that a great verse? We know love because he laid down his life for us. 
And then it adds this. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, the love that we ought to have is number one, a supernatural love. It can only come as the Holy Spirit empowers us to love like we should. Number two, it's a sacrificial love. We're willing to sacrifice, to humble ourselves, to serve. Number three, it's a significant love. Notice it says it's a new commandment. The old commandments in the Old Testament, uh, they, they uh, were in, indeed talking about love, but not with the power that we have now through the Holy Spirit to love one another like we should. And Jesus, when he talked about love in Matthew chapter 5, in verses 43 and 48, said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the mindset of the Jews in that day. That we need to love our neighbor, but if it's not our neighbor, then we don't need to do that. Jesus said this, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do also? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Isn't that significant love? I mean, it's relatively easy to love the people that love us, that treat us well, our friends, our family. Well, sometimes it's not real easy, but... It's easier to love our friends than it is to love our enemies. Jesus set the standard high. The, the love that we have for people should be a supernatural love, a sacrificial love, and a significant love even when the people that we are loving treat us poorly. That's the kind of love that we need to have for one another. We're talking about loving one another. <clears throat> I think it's appropriate to end up with a chapter that you're familiar with, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It talks about the superb love, the, the love that is extremely valuable. I'm going to read it out of the New International Version, verses 1 through 8. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. It's a different mentality that Jesus had, that Paul had. It's a mentality that Love is extremely important. It's not just a matter of doing the works like Gray talked about last week. It's a matter of truly, from the heart, loving one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is superb. Love is great. Uh, I think that, that perhaps some of you have fallen in love before. And it changed your life. But experiencing God's love and loving one another is what it should be all about. Again, the great commandment, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. This love is supernatural. We can't do it on our own strength. It is sacrificial. It's a matter of giving up what we want in order to serve other people. It is significant. It's a new commandment in that it's fresh in regard to power but also it's fresh in regard to target. We need to love not just our friends, but our enemies. And it's a superb love. It's the kind of love that we need to have for one another. And the interesting thing is this. In John chapter 13, in verses 34 and 35, it says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that's pretty high standard, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'd like to end up with a question that, that probably each and every one of us need to think about. Do people know that you are a disciple because of your supernatural, sacrificial, significant, and superb love for each other? I mean, isn't that the way it ought to be? According to God's word? And if that's not the case, then maybe we need to make sure we know Jesus Christ as Savior in the first place. But number two, if we know Jesus Christ, we need to perhaps confess and repent. Say, God, my love is not what it needs to be. I want you to work in my heart and my life and help me to truly be a disciple and to love one another. Again, the question, do people know that you are a disciple? because of your supernatural, sacrificial, significant, and superb love for each other. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to be your disciples. We want to follow you. We believe in you. We want to abide in your word, spend time in scripture, and live accordingly. Lord, we want to love one another. That's what you said is one of the signs, one of the characteristics of a disciple. And Lord, we acknowledge that so often we don't show love like we should. But we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Lord, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to love better and better, to increase in love. And that's my prayer, Lord, for myself and for each one of us here at Catawba Baptist Church, that we will grow in love. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus who loved us so much he died on the cross for our sins. Lord, as we think of what you've done for us, it should make us want to live for you. In Jesus' name.